What's up, Mosaic? How's it going, guys? It is good to see your faces after a couple weeks away. Uh, we have been, I've been gone, and you guys have been wonderful and gracious while I've been gone as we've been talking to River Tree just about what their next season of life and ministry looks like and whether there's a partnership there or, or what that looks like. And so I've been down there the last couple weeks, so thank you. But I got to say, it is really good to be back uh, with my Mosaic family. And this morning, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped not just to be back, but I'm pumped because we're starting a brand new series uh, this morning. And this is one I've got to tell you, I've been, I've been marinating on this one for quite a while. And I felt like God's been giving me like the elbow and sometimes the elbow um, saying like, we need to go there. We need to talk about this. This, this can't be the untouchable subject that we never, we never go there. And so I think it's going to be huge for, for me. I need it. I think it's going to be huge for you. And I think it's going to be huge for us. And so, so yeah, so there, there is a, this day every single month. Part of the reason that we're doing this, there's this day every month that is a holy, sacred day. Regardless of whether you are a person of faith or not. So whether you are Christian, whether you are atheist, whether you are Muslim, Islam, agnostic, anywhere, you know, wherever in, in between. No matter who you are, it is this sacred day every single month. And it's payday. Payday. One holy deposit every single month. So for some of us, it's twice a month into our, into our, pay, our, our savings account. That money, right, in one fell swoop, that money will, it will clothe us, it will house us, it will feed us, it will entertain us uh, for the next couple weeks or few weeks until the next holy deposit is made into uh, our account. And if, you know, if you actually turn back the clock, I don't know how many years this would be for some of you, this is going to be kind of news, but there, there was once a day where when you got paid, it wasn't like an automatic transaction, it wasn't even a check, you actually got paid in something called cash. And, of course, if you're a a barista or a bartender or a stripper, you already know this. But I'm trying to bring us all back on the same page. Uh, There's this thing called cash. And and, uh, for those of you who are under the age of 25, that's not an iPhone app. It's it's actually like this fabric that has dead presidents on it, and it has monetary value. And you don't have to go to a museum to see it. You can actually go to the bank, and if you've got money in your account, you can actually take some out and still use it. It's, It's really amazing. But if you were to look at those bills... Right, there's this phrase that's always struck me as odd that's written on those bills, and it's this phrase, right, in God we trust, written on our money, which I think is interesting. Right, now as a pastor, right, somebody who's trying to facilitate spiritual conversations for those of us who believe in God or who, who claim to actually not only believe in God but be God's people, I wonder if this is true or if it being printed on our money is really just the irony of all ironies. I wonder if people were to look at the way that we give or the way that we spend, the way that we save, the way that we invest, if they would be tempted to say, you know what, yeah, that person trusts in God or not. I wonder if we really do trust God or something else. And if we do trust God, how would we know? And if we don't trust God, how could you tell? And just as importantly, perhaps, why should we even care? Right? And so that is where I want to go over the next few weeks. Right? And so to begin, I want to open up to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. This is what it says. It says, Teach those who are rich. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God. Right? Teach those who are rich not to place their faith and trust in money, but to place it in God. Teach those who are rich. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, the phrase rich is not a phrase that I would normally associate myself with. Not now, 
and not in the family that I grew up in. And some of you I've shared a little bit, but I grew up in a family where we didn't have a lot of money. Not compared to most, anyway. Right? We lived in a house that was not particularly big. In fact, it was quite small. Didn't own a house until uh, well into my childhood because we couldn't afford it. Uh, most of my clothes that I wore were either garage sale steals, or, and so they never quite smelled right, you know, or they were made by my mom, and they never quite fit right. Either way, it just wasn't right. right? Vacation-wise, we didn't do like the cool stuff I saw my friends doing. So I had friends who would, they would go to the other side of the world sometimes to vacation as a family. Others who would go to the other side of the country, right? And, and my family, we, we rarely went to the other side of the state, you know. And when we did, we would just look for the cheapest deal, and we usually would go to like a campground, and one of the things that was given to us along the way for our vacationing enjoyment was a pop-up camper. And so we had somebody from our church who tried to sell it for 50 bucks. No takers. Nobody wanted that thing for 50 bucks. Honestly, they should have paid us to take it. But they gave it to us in what they thought was an act of generosity. But this thing, I mean, it looked like it barely survived the nuclear holocaust. It did not work right. It didn't go upright. It didn't smell right. It didn't, do, it didn't pull right behind our car. Um, but we took it, and I remember one of the first times on vacation we took it, and we went into this RV place, and the only open spot was between two giant mobile homes. They were like a quarter of a million dollars each, right? And we backed in our pop-up camper into the middle, this pop-up camper that was hardly worth a quarter. You know, and we're in there, and I remember that night, it rained. And we learned how much of a piece of crap this thing really was, because we were all soaking wet. Because if you know about a pop-up camper, if you've ever been one, you know, you've got like your common living space, hangout space in the middle, and then you've got like the beds on the sides, and there's cloth over those beds, and that cloth, we were soaking wet. And <laughs> so us kids were having a riot. We were laughing. Dad wasn't very happy. Um, and we heard this scream, which got out a flashlight, flashed it around, and we're like, where's Josh? We're like, Josh! And we hear this voice from outside the camper, and he, literally there was a tear in the material, and he fell out <laughs> of the camper. All right, that, that's how we vacationed growing up. Right? I remember one night we couldn't sleep because we kept hearing this, and we went outside the flashlight, and it was the satellite on this monstrosity next to us trying to get a, a thing, you know. I'm just like, all right, this is, this is my life. Like, this is what childhood was like growing up. So, like, nobody would have accused me and my family of being rich. Not by our house, not by our clothes, not by the way we vacation, not by the cars that we drive, because we knew people who were rich. I had an aunt and uncle. They were rich. Right? You could fit three of our houses in their house. You could fit one of our houses in their three-stall garage. That's not, an, that's not a big exaggeration. Right? And the, if you were to ask me when I was a kid who the richest person I knew was, uh, it would have been my buddy Jeff. And Jeff was rich. Right? Jeff had this acreage outside of town, and it was huge. And he had a go-kart track and go-karts. He had a ropes course that his, his dad had built. His dad was a carpenter. Um, it was huge. He had a game room that had like a ping pong table and a pinball table, a pinball machine, and then it had like every gaming console known to man. They had a room just for wrestling. That's what it was. It was just for wrestling. You had mirrors and wrestling mats and headgear, and we would wrestle in there, right? And he was rich. They had a snack cupboard. It was like a whole, it was like the size of our garage, but it was just snacks, like floor to ceiling, like everything you can imagine. Well, it was amazing. So for me, like, he was rich. And I remember actually having a conversation with him, and I, and I said, Jeff, man, you are so lucky, dude. What's it like to be rich? What's it like? And he burst out laughing. He said, we're not rich. And he started naming off, now so-and-so, they're rich. The cars, do you see what they drive? 
Do you know where they vacation? Have you seen their house? Do you see how they dress? We're not rich. They're rich. Right? And this is, this is, by the way, the way that this whole wealth and money thing works. Right? I know it seems like we all know somebody who's rich, but nobody's rich. It's always those people, right? It's not us. It's, it's somebody else. Uh, nobody thinks they're rich, right? And so this morning, you know, as we begin this series, kind of as a starting point, um, I've got some good news for you this morning, and I've got some bad news. And so I'm going to give you the good news first because I kind of want to butter, butter you up and prepare you uh, for the bad news. So, so the good news, you ready for this? Okay, the good news is that you are rich. It's so funny. When I always say that, like nobody, no cheers, like no spontaneous hoots and hollers, you know? Like nobody chest bumping in the aisles, nobody standing on their chair to raise a toast from one rich person to another. Lunch is on me today, or you, it doesn't matter, we're both rich, right? Nobody, <laughs> nobody does that, right? Because none of us, not most of us, like we don't feel rich. Maybe if I would look at your bank accounts, you would say, see, I'm not rich. None of, us, none of us really feel rich, right? None of us, when I said that, like, felt the need to turn to your spouse and say, Honey, you hear that? All this stressing we've been doing about the debt, right? All that unnecessary worry about the credit card bill. Never again, we're rich, right? None of us feel that way, right? And rich, like, rich, nobody knows where the rich line is, you know? I guarantee on Friday, if you got paid on Friday like I did, None of you said, all right, babe, write it down in the calendar, October 31st, 2014 at 2 p.m., we became rich, right? We weren't rich, and then I got this, and now we are rich. All right, it's not the way that it works. Right? Rich is like this moving target. Nobody knows where it's at. It's always somebody else. It's always the next pay grade. We all know people who are rich, but, but none of us are. You know, Gallup did a study a few years ago, and I think the results probably could have been predicted, and maybe it's the reason they did it. But they surveyed people, and they just asked them, like, how much is rich? Or how much would you have to make to be considered rich? And so they surveyed people who make, like, thirty to $35,000 a year. And they said, 75000 If we made 75000 a year, we'd be rolling. You could call us rich. Right? And then they surveyed those who made over $50,000 a year, and they asked them, how much would you have to make to be rich? And they said, over $100,000. Right? If we made six digits, we would be rich. You could call us rich. We'd be good. And, of course, then they asked people who made over $100,000, where do you think this is going? What do you think they said? Right? Over $250,000. If, if I made over a quarter million dollars a year, if we did as a household, you could call us rich. Then we would be rich. Right? It's always the next tier. It's always the next pay grade. Most ridiculous result, uh, example I've ever heard of this is Money Magazine did a survey a few years ago of their readers. And they asked them, how much in total assets would you have to be or have to be rich? What the average money magazine subscriber said? Five million dollars. If I had, you know, if I had five million dollars, I would be rich, right? And all God's people said, "Duh," right? <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, and just think about this for a minute. Like the average money magazine subscriber, if you ask them if they had a million dollars, they would say, "I'm not rich." If they had two million dollars in assets, they would say, "I'm not rich." $3 million, hey, we're, we're not rich. That person's rich. $4 million, not rich. $4.5 million, not rich. And you know what? I don't know this for sure, but I venture to guess if they had $5 million, and the ones who do, I bet they'd tell you, we're not rich. So-and-so is rich. Those people over there are rich. It's not us. 
Right? Everybody knows somebody is rich, but nobody's rich. And I, I would suggest to you the reason for this is because money has this crazy way of blinding us to reality. It, money makes people crazy. Right? And I know you're still not convinced that you're rich, and maybe you're not. So I want to just paint maybe a fuller picture of what rich looks and sounds like. Because I'd venture to guess if you're not rich, you know some rich people. And the thing about being rich is it, rich people really struggle with discontentment. It's constant. Right? So they have stuff, but it's not enough stuff, so they've got to get more stuff. And it's like an appetite. You know, like an appetite is never fully satisfied. And you, you feed that appetite, you feed that appetite, and over time, what does it do? Right? It grows. If you starve that appetite over time, it doesn't mean you're never hungry, but it gets smaller. Right? And so rich people, they, they have all these things, but the more they buy, the more they need, or the more they want. And so I just want to paint a picture for you, see if you know some rich people. All right, rich people do these crazy things. One of the things they do is upgrade. Now, if you don't know what upgrading is, upgrade is when you take something that works just fine, and then you trade it in with more money for something that essentially does the same thing. So an example of this, like rich people... You may have even heard of this happening. Like, rich people actually drive onto, like, a car lot. And with their car that they drove onto the lot, and they will hand the keys over to somebody and say, I want a car. Take my car, and here's a bunch more money. And then they drive off with the car. Isn't that crazy? I know. Who would do that? Rich people would do that, okay? But another one, you know, so rich people will do this. They'll, they'll go into a kitchen that has countertops and a stove and refrigerator and a microwave and they'll just tear all that stuff out and you know what they put back in there countertops and a fridge and a stove and a microwave i know it's crazy i'm not making this up this actually happens i know rich people who will drive to omaha to go to the apple store and they'll wait in line rich people hate waiting in line but they'll, they'll wait in line and they will take like a selfie on their iphone 5 Put it up on Instagram and say, waiting in line at the Apple store for iPhone 6, sent from iPhone 5. They'll do this. It's crazy. I know. It's nuts. And then they'll trade in their iPhone 5 for the iPhone 6, which essentially does the exact same thing. It's, it's insane. Uh, you're not going to believe this. This is, this is a true story. Rich people often have a room in their house that is home only to their clothes. And they will walk into that closet that is full and they will stand in front of all those clothes and say out loud, I've got nothing to wear. It's nuts, I know. I promise you, I'm not making this up. Now, I've never seen this one with my own eyes, but I've heard that there are rich women who have nine, ten, twelve pairs of shoes. Really, I know, it's funny, it's laughable. It's like, who would do that? Rich people. And... It's not enough. Like, they will try to fit with the outfit, and they'll say, I don't have shoes to go with that. And they'll go buy more. It's insane. I know. Rich people in the summer, they'll do things like this. Rich people will take water that's drinkable, which is like, you know, there's parts of the world where they don't have access to clean drinking water, but we have lots of it. In fact, they have so much water that they will take that water, and they will dump it on their yard. It's all over, just because they like what happens after that. And then when they can't, because there's a drought anymore, they get really mad. I know, it's nuts. It's just crazy. Rich people have garbage disposals. You know what you put down there? Not trash. What do you put down the garbage disposal? Food, right? And their garbage disposal eats so well that you could feed a village with what goes down there. Right? Rich people are nuts. And here's the craziest thing about rich people. 
is they still don't think they're rich. And they still want more. Because money makes people crazy. And money makes people blind oftentimes. And the accumulating of stuff, right, it does this thing in us where we don't see what we have. Now we see what we don't have, right, what we need or what we want. And so the good news this morning I want to share with you is I think you're probably rich. And if you're not yet, you will be soon, right? And if you still don't believe me, right, just so you know, right, if you make over forty-five dollars to $50,000 your household in a year, 99% of the world would say you're filthy, stinking rich. You're literally richer than 99% of wage earners in the world. If you drive a car, regardless of who paid for that car, 97% of the world would say, you are rich. What is it like to be rich? What is it like to have AC and heat and running water that you can just go to the sink and, and pour out drinking water? What's it like to be able to go to the bathroom in your house and not lose your family? You know, like what's it like to have a house for your car? All right, so the good news is you're rich, all right? So I'm just buttering you up here because there's some bad news too. And, and the bad news, honestly, it's hard for me to communicate how, how bad this news really is. Um, the good news is that you're rich. And the bad news is you're rich. And your being rich and my being rich will be the, it puts you at the biggest spiritual disadvantage than anything else in your life. This will be the thing, if there is a thing, that keeps you from experiencing the life that God desires for you to experience, for you to know him and walk with him and experience his blessing, I'm telling you. If there's a barrier to that, if there's one, chances are it's going to be, it's going to be this. In fact, there's a passage in, in Luke 18 where a rich person comes up to Jesus. And he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus names off some kind of good religious things, some standard Jewish answer. And the man says, you know, I've done all these things since I was a boy. And Jesus looks at him, and he loves him. And in that moment, he has the ability to see what we cannot see. And what he sees in this moment is that this is his issue. Right? This is the thing that is keeping him from life. And if he doesn't get past his wealth, he's done. Like, there, there is no plan B. There's no second hope. He's got to get rid of this. This is, this is the, what truly owns his heart. He loves his stuff. And so he tells him, he tells him, you know what, you need to sell all this. Sell it all, give it away, and come follow me. Now, it's interesting to note, and it's important to note, that this is the only time that Jesus says that. Right? And so we don't just take that and apply it to everybody and say, well, Jesus doesn't want you to own anything, because actually the Bible has a number of examples of people who are very wealthy, and they loved God. And in fact, there's other parts of the Bible that says that God gives you things for your enjoyment. Right? And, and so God's not against you having nice things. What God is against is nice things having you. And that is exactly what was going on with this rich young man. And so he says, you need to get rid of it. It needs to go. And we're told that this man walked away with his head hung low because he was rich and he couldn't part with his stuff. And then Jesus says these words, and I think these words should cause us to sit up and pay attention. This is what he says, verse 24 and 25. He says, Jesus looked at him and he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. He says it is so hard for rich people to be saved. It is so hard for those who are rich to experience the life that God has for them because it is so hard to pry rich people from their stuff. Right? For those of us who the 90 plus percent of the rest of the world would say you're filthy, stinking rich, I think that, those should be chilling words to us. Right? Words that cause us at least to sit up and pay attention and ask, am I missing something here? Do I really trust God? I mean, the good news is you're rich, but the bad news is you're rich. Because even though our money may say, in God we trust, because of our money, it is so hard for us to actually trust God. So hard. Right? And so I just want to give you a few examples of that this morning as we launch into this series to just put some flesh on this. And this is not an exhaustive list. It's just three things with three different ways that our money, our wealth, our stuff makes it really hard for us to do this well. All right, the first one, it is harder for you and I to trust God. It is harder for you and I to depend on him and not our stuff. Did you know, statistically, the more money you make, the less money you will give away? And that doesn't apply to everybody, but statistically, it is proportionate. The more money that you make, the less money you will give away if God has nothing to do with it, right? And I think this is important for us because sometimes I think we're tempted to think, you know what, it's so easy for them to give. If I made that kind of money, I would do it better than they do, right? If I had that kind of money, I would be able to give so much money away, I'd be set once I turn that corner, right? But the truth is that's not what we see uh, statistically at all, right? In fact, I would say that's the kind of thing that rich people who don't know they're rich people say, right, in order to justify not being generous, in fact, in some ways, the more money that you have, the harder it will be to give away. The more money you have, the more opportunities you have. The more expectations you have. The more you have to ensure, the more you have to lose. It doesn't get easier. It gets harder. In fact, and I would say this to you, the more money you have, it's just going to make you more of what you already are. Because now you have the means to get what you want. If you had that money, now you could finally get what you think you deserve which you wish you had that those people had, but you don't. And I'm telling you, man, I've seen this so many times. If you are not a generous person when you come into money, you will not be a generous person on the other side. I've seen it over and over and over. And I know some godly, wealthy, generous people. But man, I also know a lot of people who had this mentality, this idea that once I get there, then I will finally start doing this right. Then I will start thinking about other people. Then I will ask maybe what God wants of me, and they just never get there. Someday never comes. In some ways, the more money you have, the harder it is. I I just had a conversation with, uh, just months ago, with a good friend of mine. We used to live together, and we were broke as dirt, right, back in the day. And now, you know, he he got this job, and he's rolling in the bank. I mean, he is doing really well for himself, six digits a year. And and we weren't even talking about this, but somehow it came up, this whole giving money issue. And he said, you know what, you're you're not going to believe this. He said, it's such a paradox. He said, when we lived together and we were broke, it was so much easier for me to give money. It was so much more e- like easier for me to be faithful. But he said now, <laughs> he said I was given 10% now, then, but now, man, that tithing check is huge. You know, he's like, I'm, I'm looking at this thing every month. I'm like, oh, the things I could do with this. The things I could do for my family, for my wife, for my kids. Right? And that's the way it works. I'm telling you, from personal experience, I'll affirm that that is totally true. I have shared with you before. First year we were married, uh, Megan and I, I made $6,000. Bringing home the bread, baby. $6,000. I 
Right at that time in our life, we were committed to giving away 10%, first 10%, giving it to our local church. That literally for the whole year was, what, 600 bucks. 600 bucks for the whole year. That's like 50 bucks a month. You know, that's like, that's like nothing. I was spending more at Blockbuster a month at that point, back when Blockbuster was a thing. Right? But now, I'll tell you, I make a lot more than $6,000 a year. Right? And Megan and I just recently, we were looking at like our, our goals, you know, for the next year. What we wanted to give away, what we wanted to save, where we wanted to give our money. Right? And I'm looking at the, the percentage that we give away and how much money that represents. I'm just like, oh, I could drive my dream car that I've been dreaming about since I was 15 years old. Like we, could, we could go to Jamaica like every year, not just a 10-year anniversary, right? every year, sipping on the beach, Mai Tais, Bob Marley, chicken. Right? <laughs> just like, man, like really. You know, like I'd love, I'd love for, for our daughter Paige right now to be doing all the things I'd, I'd love for her to be able to do. Right? She's a little athlete. I'm just like, man, you know what? Start cutting corners here. I mean, man, really, we could, we could open up some big doors for my little girl. It, it has not gotten easier over time. It's gotten harder. In fact, now I have way more reasons to start justifying not, not giving that percentage anymore. All right, so just, just to diffuse the myth, just so you know, if you're waiting until you come into more money to be generous with the money that you already have, I'm just saying it's, it's just it's not going to happen. Money makes it harder for us to be generous, harder for us to trust God. Secondly, uh, money, oftentimes, or the money things can buy, it distracts us from what really matters. Right, how many people, just out of curiosity, you've traveled to like a developing country at some point in your life? Yeah? Okay, a number of us. All right, so last time I did that was the Dominican Republic, and I was there for a summer. And when we were there, you know, I, I didn't have a laptop with me. We didn't have high-speed internet or anything like that. We didn't have electricity half the time, you know. It was just really stripped down. Um, you know, we showered. There was a bucket on the roof. It just gathered rainwater. It had a spigot and a hose that went into the building. And if it rained, you got to shower. If it didn't rain, sorry, you're out of luck. You don't get to shower. And, and it's funny. I think back to that summer. And in some ways, I'm like, ugh, I don't want to live that again. But then there's this other part of me that's like, you know what? That summer, I prayed more. I spent time without agenda with people more. I spent more time reflecting. I mean, I even journaled that, that summer. And I know most of you men journal, right? But this guy, like, I just don't journal, you know? But that summer, I, I journaled, you know? And for those of you who have gone overseas to developing countries, you know, like, when you come back to the States, when they talk about culture shock, it is a real thing. Things are so different here. And it's not necessarily good and bad, but it is different. And I will say, for those of us who are rich, it is so much harder, so much harder. Because now I'm back home, and I've got this beautiful flat screen on my wall. Right? And I spend a lot of money on her, and she loves spending time with me, and I love spending time with her. And after a long day, you know, it's like, yeah, I could do something maybe more productive or valuable, but I'm tired, and she needs me, you know? <laughs> we should do that. You know, like, now I have high-speed internet, right? And I've got Netflix, and I've got literally thousands of movies, like, at my beck and call. You know, and so at the end of the day or on the weekend, it's like, you know what, yeah, I, I could read my Bible, but Weekend of Bernie's 2 is on Netflix now. You know, and I remember that really had an impact on me as a child. I feel like I should probably revisit it. It would be the responsible thing to do. You know, now I have this thing in my pocket. And boy, does that thing let me know it's there all the time. Right? Every single time somebody likes my Facebook post, comments on my Instagram photo, retweets that witty thing that I had to say in 140 characters or less. Every time I get a text message from my wife, 
a voicemail from somebody else, there's a software update, Candy Crush has a new level, all these important things, or unimportant, is they're constantly drawing me in. And it's not evil. It can be used for good. I love my smartphone, and I'm not parting with it. But I would, will tell you, it is harder. It is harder. I have to work constantly just to be present in the room with people. Because this thing, uh, there's so much I can do. Right? And, and I'll just let you know, people who are not rich, they don't have any of those distractions. They just don't. But we do. Right? In some ways, it, it's, it's harder. It's harder for us. Right? I, I'm very thankful to live in a country where I have the ability to go get an education and then go get a job. And I love what I do. Most weeks. I love what I do. Right? But takes a lot of time and energy to work. And there are times when I have the opportunity to work harder, either to, you know, we all do, whether it's to try to get that promotion, whether it's try to just to impress, um, whether it's just to succeed, you know, and to go the extra mile. Sometimes it's not optional. Sometimes it's just what the job requires. And I'm very thankful for that, but it can very easily pull me away. Right? It can very easily pull me away from the stuff uh, that matters most, including my family. Speaking of family, as a rich person, right, I can afford to do some things, if, even if I can't do everything. I can afford to put my, my girls in gymnastics and soccer and swimming lessons and piano lessons, right, to do extracurriculars, all this on top of school. Right, I can afford to do vacations that we couldn't take when I was a kid in my family, stuff that I would have just had my mind blown Right? I get to do that now, and none of that's bad, but I can, we can do all these things that rich people, like I can afford as a rich person, and never get around to praying with my kids. Never get around to talking to them about Jesus. To never go out together and actually serve other people because I'm rich. And as a rich person, I am afforded rich people opportunities, and I have to deal with rich people distractions. And so for us, as people who have more than most, this is uniquely tough for us. It's easier for us to be distracted. And then thirdly, it's uniquely challenging for us because the truth is, we have a greater responsibility. We do. We have a tremendous responsibility with what God has entrusted to us. This is what it says in Luke chapter two, or 12, verse 48. From everyone who has been given much much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked, or depending on your translation, required. I just sit on that for a moment, rich people. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. All right, we got we to level with the fact that that is talking about us. And you can disagree with me, but I'm just telling you, the vast majority of the world is going to disagree with you. And if it doesn't feel, if you don't feel rich, it's very possible it's because you're spending most of it on yourself. And that's something we've got to level with. It's something we've got to wrestle with. I mean, I, I remember working at the city mission. It's like, it's so easy for us to feel entitled to things that we don't need, right? So I, I used to work at the city mission, and I might have shared this before. And, and I, love this, I love the city mission. I loved working there. And I love the people I get to work with. But I remember just watching in awe more than once during like Christmas season as these 
moms who have multiple kids and they're living at the homeless shelter are buying new iPhones or brand new Xbox for their kids. And I'm like, okay, there's something wrong with this picture, right? But we do the same thing. Every time we live above our means, we do the same thing. You do realize, like, in every single pay grade in Lincoln, Nebraska, people continue to file for bankruptcy, and they will. People that are three grades above you still filing for bankruptcy because we feel entitled to things that maybe we don't need. All right, so we've got to wrestle with this. We've got we to wrestle with this because God says, look, it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, a different way is possible. A better way is possible. And so that's, that's what I want to explore together in this series. And just so you know, in case I'm not clear, my goal this morning is not for you to feel guilty. In fact... In fact, there is nothing, I would, I would argue, nothing that I'm aware of in the Bible that would suggest that you should feel guilty for what God has given you. In fact, there are, uh, there are very wealthy people that are celebrated in the scriptures as people who loved God and worshipped him. They're celebrated as pillars of faith. Right? And so the goal here is not to make you feel guilty for what God has entrusted to your care, but what I do want you to feel is grateful and responsible. Those are the two things I think you should feel. I want you to feel grateful for what God has given you. Because you have options. Even if you don't feel rich, even if your savings account doesn't reflect it, you have options and opportunities here that the many in the rest of the world would kill for. And I want you to feel grateful for that. And I also want you to feel, I want you to feel responsible. And, and, and I want you to lean in. Honestly, I, as we start this series, I just want you to know you're rich. And I want you to own it. To not be ashamed of it but to own it, because I want you to be good at it, because most rich people are not good at it. Right? And if we can learn anything from the scriptures, and just, you know what, let's just step away from the scriptures for a minute. If you could just survey the landscape of the United States, I would say the story is exactly the same, and that is, by nature, rich people are not good at being rich. That rich people do not stumble their way into generosity. We stumble other ways, but not into that. We don't stumble into honoring God with our wealth. We don't stumble into selflessness. That takes a whole lot of courage. Right? And so that's my prayer. My prayer is that during this series, you would have the courage to open up your heart right, and just ask, all right, Lord, am I missing something here? Right? I, to be willing to ask, I wonder if God wants something different than what I'm currently doing. Do you have the courage to ask that question? It's very easy to peg me as the pastor who wants your money. Right, all church, I told you, honey, churches just want your money. We're not coming back. It's not true. We want your time and your talent, too. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, not really, but kind of. No, the truth, is, the truth is, I'll say this. I do want to see what happens when a community of faith opens up their wallets and says, this is not mine. Lord God, take what you want. Show me where to push it. Show me where to give it. Show me where to invest it but I'm not going to pretend like this is mine anymore. I want to see what it looks like when a community of people say, I have the courage and I have the humility to, to suggest and ask aloud whether I might have been wrong up until this point. Lord, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want us to do with this as a community? I want to see what, what happens with that. I want to see what God can do through that community. So if you want to be a part of that, just know you're invited. And if you want to just sit there and ignore me for the next four weeks, fine, you can do that too but I'm going to do my best to change your mind, all right? Is that fair? All right, let me pray for you.
Lord God, I just want to begin by by confessing to you the seasons in my life where I have pretended like what I have is mine to keep. Times in which I have refused to give you access to certain parts of my life, and at times that has been my money, at other times in my life that has been other things. And Lord God, I thank you for the grace that you've shown me in every single one of those seasons. And I thank you for the grace that you offer every single person in this room as they wrestle with what they're doing with what you've given them. Lord, I thank you that your goal uh, is never for us to just sit in guilt or condemnation, but to dance in grace, to ask whether a better way is possible not because we have to do anything different in order to be loved by you, but because a different kind of life is possible than the one we've experienced up until now. Because you offer a better way. And so, Lord God, we just invite you into the next few weeks. We invite you to be present. We invite you to show us things in our own lives that maybe we don't want to look at. We invite you to to mess with us a bit if that's what it's going to take for you to be able to do in us what you desire to do in us so that you can do through us what you desire to do through us. And so, Lord God, we come before you as your people, as your church. We pray these things in your name. Amen.